This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, June 4th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. The Cato Institute's Libertarianism.org project has launched a new podcast, The Pursuit, hosted by producer Tess Terrible. I talked with her about the show's presentation of the twin issues of eminent domain and civil forfeiture and what listeners will find elsewhere in the show. There are two issues here that you take a deep dive into. One is civil asset forfeiture, or civil forfeiture as some people call it. Uh, and the other is eminent domain, especially the post-Kilo uh, eminent domain, the, the famous Supreme Court case in 2005. Suzette Kilo had her home taken by uh, her local town to benefit a private corporation. Uh, and both of these, uh, depending on the circumstances with eminent domain, it's the government stealing stuff from people. And you take this long, deep dive into uh, this issue, these these twin issues. What was the most surprising thing that you learned about both uh, forfeiture and eminent domain? Well, as many people know, after the Kilo case was decided, many states reformed eminent domain. Um, many people were absolutely appalled by the decisions, and many states put into reforms that something like Kilo could not happen in their states and. Um, we should be optimistic about that. But one of the most surprising things I learned with eminent domain is how prevalent it still is. One of the states that did not reform their eminent domain laws was the state of Massachusetts. And one of the deep dives that you talked about happened in the state of Massachusetts, where a public school district is trying to seize land from a private liberal arts college. And, so, and quite often in these eminent domain cases, it's it's not the only way they could have acquired the property. In some, some many cases, they could have bought the property. But eminent domain is is viewed, I think, by many governments as this is just going to be a lot easier than paying, than buying the property outright. We won't have to pay as much. Is that the case here? The case uh, in Brookline, Massachusetts is murky at best. Pine Manor College is a small private for year liberal arts college that had had years of operating losses. They were put on probation in 2016. They are no longer operating losses, and they have been taken off probation. And as soon as this happened, the public school district came at Pine Manor College to seize part of their property land, some of their open space. And so I think the case is murky at best. I think it's a case where the public school district, the town officials saw an easy win and an easy eminent domain battle, if you will. And I think the town knew from the beginning that it would, um, that the school would have a hard time fighting this. You've brought a clip with you. And as they say on talk shows, set this clip up for us. So we'll start with interviewing Christina Sandifer, who is the vice president at the Goldwater Institute in Arizona. And Christina Sandifer has worked extensively in the area of property rights. And we discuss just property rights in general and why they are the foundation to all other rights we have. We continue with speaking with Trevor Burris, who is a research fellow here at the Robert A. Levy Constitutional Study Center at the Cato Institute. 
Trevor explains eminent domain and civil asset forfeiture, two ways that government takes private property, very different ways, but have the same foundational action of seizing private property. All right, here it goes. Private property brings us together. Private property keeps others out and allows us to associate with people who are like-minded. It allows us to learn things about each other. It allows us to express ourselves. And the Founding Fathers knew that that was critical. This is Christina Sandifer. She is the Executive Vice President of the Goldwater Institute in Arizona. She spoke with me about property and property rights. Private property is mentioned in the Constitution over and over again, and that's why even when government is given very limited power to be able to take away property rights, that power was expressly designated as being very, very limited in the Constitution because our founding fathers knew that property rights were the foundation of all of their rights. And really, when you think about property rights, the core of property rights is self-ownership, right? I own myself, I own my body, and therefore I own the fruits of my labor. Every right in the Constitution is really at its base a property right. I mean, again, even even the right to freedom of speech and free expression, that, that again relies on a foundation of private property rights. And if you don't have, the right to own a printing press, to own a church. You are not able to express those rights and, and government can take the foundation of those rights away. There is a long and complicated history of private property getting undermined by government action. This is Trevor Burris. He is a research fellow here at the Cato Institute's Robert A. Levy Center for Constitutional Studies. He is also co-host of Free Thoughts podcast. I asked Trevor to explain the relationship between private property and government. We started by talking about eminent domain. Eminent domain is a power of the government, and it's a long-standing power going back to common law. And it's protected in the sense that it's allowed, but you have to pay compensation in the Fifth Amendment, which says that nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. This means, traditionally speaking, that the government can take, say, your house to build a road. And it has done this for a very long time, but if it does that, it has to pay you just compensation. But generally, that's eminent domain. In most cases, eminent domain is used to take physical property, like houses or other properties. And this property is used as a public good, something that directly benefits the public. In asset forfeiture, there are actually two types of asset forfeiture. One of them is criminal asset forfeiture, and the other one is civil asset forfeiture. Criminal asset forfeiture is when you lose the proceeds of a crime. And most people would generally endorse this if you robbed a bank, and then you're convicted of robbing the bank, and, and they take the $400,000 or whatever you took from the bank. You can't say, hey, you're taking my property. And that comes after a conviction of a crime. That's criminal asset forfeiture. Civil asset forfeiture is different entirely. That occurs when the government takes things based on the mere suspicion that it was involved in a crime without a conviction beforehand and possibly without a conviction ever. Civil asset forfeiture is the legal process of seizing personal property of a person suspected of a crime. 
It's important to distinguish eminent domain and asset forfeiture while understanding that they both share the same foundational action, government seizing private property. I would argue, in the abstract, both eminent domain and asset forfeiture are fairly reasonable practices. Eminent domain emphasizes that property taken must benefit the public and that the government must pay just compensation. In theory, asset forfeiture's main objective is to dismantle crime. If used correctly, within limitation, and carefully, these seem like effective, reasonable government tools. But are they? That was a clip from The Pursuit, a new podcast produced by Tess Terrible on behalf of Libertarianism.org here at the Cato Institute. Uh, And this is how many episodes? Six episodes. And what else are we likely to get uh, in these episodes as they roll out? We will follow a number of cases. We will explore some past cases, including a historic Kilo versus New London case that happened in New London, Connecticut. We will hear from Suzette Kilo herself. We will hear from many experts in the field of property rights, eminent domain, and civil asset forfeiture. And I hope the listeners will come away um, more informed on the state of property rights in this country. Tess Terrible is a producer at Libertarianism.org and the host of The Pursuit Podcast. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.